0: Your challenges don't define you. How you deal with them does. So, are you ready to recover from reality? The love that I experienced as a child was conditional love. You know, it was, I'll love you if you behave this way. I'll love you if you blah, blah, blah. Even I'll love you if you perform the sexual act on me. I'll love you if, you know what I mean? Like, my entire life that was my experience and when i got sober i felt like the most unlovable piece of shit in the entire world that i was not worthy of respect or kindness or of of ever experiencing real love i didn't even know that real love existed i i never really felt like that before and so <laughs> it wasn't even something that we really even talked about until after we got married Um, where he was like, none of that phases me, like none of that bothers me at all. And I love you because of that. I love you because of your past. I love you because of those experiences. And it really is just such a magical thing. That was a quick clip from this week's episode with my husband, Evan. This was a two-parter. Evan was on the podcast, not last week, but the week before. And we did a Q&A segment and I wanted to release it separately. Otherwise, it would have been well over a two-hour long podcast, which in my opinion is just a little bit... Too long. So I broke it up and I'm really looking forward to this. We dive deeper into our relationship. We talk about Suboxone, Subutex maintenance, things in that nature. So we're talking about uh, overall healing and marriage and children and the works. And so I'm going to keep it short, but I just want to reiterate and say. Uh, that I love you guys so much and I'm thinking about you and I hope you all are staying sane and I'm going to continue to push out content for you every week so you have something to look forward to on your Mondays. And with that, here's this week's episode. Evan and I just recorded an awesome episode and now we're doing another one. We're going to do a Q&A because so many of you guys sent in questions. We're also on um, Instagram live right now. So I'm going to answer some questions from the audience live that are watching us as we do this podcast. And for those of you who don't know, Evan's my husband. I should have said that. I think everyone knows that (laughs) by now. And um, yeah, so we're just going to dive right into this Q&A. Evan's here. I feel like I should get a little bit closer so you guys can see us both. Um, We're in our bed. We're on day like 11 or 12 of this social distancing. If you're going to be a freak, I'm going to smack him. I'm about to lose my freaking shit on him. It's been too many days inside of my house with my husband. It's been too many days. He's making these fucking weird faces and he's acting (laughs) like an idiot. And he thinks he's so funny. He's Mr. Funny over here. He's not funny. It's not funny. You're not funny. He's not funny. Everyone tell him he's not funny. Okay. So we're on Instagram Live and we're going to answer questions. So what was the first question that like sparked your interest? Actually, let me take a look. Please. Yes.
1: Oh, on my phone?
0: Well, yeah, because I'm on Instagram Live. Jill, Jill says, how do you guys deal with both being so gorgeous?
1: <laughs> Jill, uh, Jill from Thousand Oaks. It is <laughs> so tough. So,
0: so hard. He thinks he's so funny. He's not funny. Um, okay, so here we go. What you wish you knew before having kids. That's a good one.
1: How what- awesome it is. <laughs>
0: I love that he's saying how awesome it is. Our three-year-old is such a freaking handful. It's like God tricked us because our first daughter was quite easy. And then our second pregnancy... Really, that was our third pregnancy because we had a miscarriage in between. But our daughter is so challenging. I think she just screams all day long. Like three years old is the hardest age by far. She's a very powerful voice. She's giving us a run for our money every single day. It's so intense. Oh, here's a great question. And Evan can totally riff on this. And it's um, something that he's so passionate about and he has kind of changed. I don't want to say he's changed my mind because it wasn't that my mind was ever that um, Subutex or Suboxone or medication management was like a bad thing. I just wanted people to be really informed before they did it. You started using it, but let, let's let Evan riff on this because he has a really kind I think, an awesome perspective about this.
1: Well, I mean, personally, I couldn't care less if someone's on Suboxone or Sub Subutex. I know, according to research, it um, cuts down on overdose deaths by 50 to 60 percent. So, you know, to not want to use it for someone um, or to not have it kind of in your your arsenal when treating addiction is, I mean, perhaps even criminal. Um, but I mean, even more than that, I think we get so hung up on being sober, being abstinent, uh, which is obviously, uh, to some people very important. And, and I think that that's great. um, but I'm I've I've listened to guys like uh, Dr. Carl Hart on uh, the Joe Rogan podcast, who's basically a, an advocate for um, harm this this kind of level of harm reduction that is um, so open minded that really it's no one's business what someone else does, and if someone wants to use Suboxone or Subutex. And by the way, many people do who then go on to have these highly productive lives with these rich, high-quality relationships and jobs and 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 a, and a, and a full spiritual that life. That wouldn't
0: otherwise be possible right, without, without would, that, the medication. That, precisely
1: so it's like... Who am I to criticize that person? And if that person wants to identify as sober and go to AA meetings, I mean, shame on anyone who wouldn't welcome that person. So that's my feeling about it.
0: Yeah, I think that it's definitely medical assisted treat medication assisted treatments, Suboxone, Subutex, all of, you know, methadone. All of these things are um, great tools my only thing was that like everyone needs to be really educated about what a detox from that is like, because there's no question about it. And as someone who was a heroin addict, who's used Suboxone before, that the detox is brutal. And so you just need to know all of these things before making the appropriate choice. Now, I personally don't necessarily think that and this is where Evan and I disagree that every single 1920, 25 year old who's never been to treatment before um, should get on Suboxone maintenance or Subutex maintenance. I think that there's a time and a place for it and that the hard cases that we've seen, the girls and boys, guys and girls, rather, the people who have come into treatment, who've been to treatment six or seven times, who keep overdosing, who you know, are really at risk, you know, and then your response is going to be, well, everyone's at risk for overdosing at any time. Um, You know, I think that there are cases where long term, especially even for like uh, pain management, it's a great option for pain management, um, I've
1: never, I've personally never seen, and I'm sure there's there's outliers, but I've never seen someone who's 19 years old who just picked up an opioid habit in the last year or two, who's never been to treatment, who's never overdosed, and um, be recommended to be on I Suboxone have. maintenance. I, I don't know where you've seen I that. I never have. But I'm what, what go- I'm what I'm saying is though, like the safest thing for someone who's addicted to opioids would be would would be to be on like a prescribed for everybody to op- get on suboxone opioid. no to be on an opioid like or to have like like medical grade heroin available to them in doses which they've done in Canada Canada um and I want to say Switzerland yeah um and uh where that's cut down on crime it's cut, cut down on like literally 24-7 you're, uh, hustling. You're not going to get down any on, argument um, from me. HIV, AIDS, yep. uh, TB, um, all the abscesses and infections, brain and heart yes. uh, infections. You're
0: not going to get any argument from me that harm reduction is not the model that mm-hmm. we need to be going towards. It absolutely is. Um, I just want to follow up with this girl who's online with us. She said, yeah, it's scary because I went from one opioid to Subutex another opiate. So I know I've been on it for years, which is way too long. But then Evan would say, is it too long? Well, like, no, What
1: I would say, what I would say is, I mean, is it, uh, it's such a personal thing. And let me just preface all of this by saying I'm not a, I'm not a doctor. So yeah, we're you know, not I'm, not, I'm not giving medical advice. But my, my question, you know, as one person in recovery to another is, is it affecting you negatively? And what about it? Is, is it affecting
0: you negatively or is it the stigma around it that's making you want to get off? the stigma around
1: it. And, and to me, that's a bigger problem. And what I hear is, oh, it's my boyfriend or it's my girlfriend or it's my friends in AA who say I need to get off of it. And sure, so if we're being shamed by our community or our uh, significant others, that's a problem. But that's not our problem. It's not a problem with the medication.
0: Yeah, Quick break from today's episode to talk to you guys about Kapari. I don't know if you guys have heard about Kapari, but it is an awesome skincare line that I am totally obsessed with. Did you know that your skin is actually an organ that absorbs what you put on it? um, yuck. Think of all of the nasty products that we're currently using that are filled with harsh chemicals, and it's going directly into your bloodstream. You've probably heard of Kapari's organic, vegan, premium-grade coconut oil products, and it's with that same attention to ingredients that makes their CBD line the one to trust. Kapari's products only use full-spectrum CBD whole plant powder on the market combined with their famous coconut oil for maximum absorption and ultimate nourishment. Coparius is dedicated to sustainable and quality sourcing with their CBD plants as they are with their coconuts. If you've got any aches or kinks in your muscles, anything that needs relief, their CBD Body Calm Cream and Recovery Balm go on smoothly and feel amazing. Kapari's CBD deodorant can help soothe inflammation and has a fresh herbaceous lavender scent. I personally love their deodorant. That is the product that I use the most. I have been using aluminum-free deodorant before aluminum-free deodorant was even cool, you guys. Kapari's is the one to trust. Remember, it's CBD, not THC. Their coconut CBD products won't get you high. Just soothe you and calm you with some of nature's biggest power players paired to perfection. And if you're going to try a CBD product, you should do it right. So if you've been wanting to see what all the CBD hype is about, let this be the nudge you need. You can get 15% off all CBD products right now when you go to Kapari Beauty. That's K-O-P-A-R-I beauty.com slash reality. That's Kapari.com slash reality for 15% off your order. Kaparibeauty.com slash reality.
1: You know, those things you are too embarrassed to talk about when it comes to dating, like when to say I love you, how to define the relationship. Well, We Met at Acme touches upon all of those subjects and more, and we get right into it with our guests and talk about their dating lives and also what not to do when it comes to dating, because we're all kind of confused together. So you can tune in every Sunday to We Met at Acme, and maybe you can learn a thing or two while I learn a thing or two.
0: Thoughts on CBD without THC for the sober community? Absolutely.
1: Well, you yeah, you already know my opinion.
0: Yeah, I mean, (laughs) what's your opinion?
1: Who cares?
0: Who fucking cares? (laughs) His opinion is who cares? We are so, we're in, I, I love when you talk about how, um, we live in a time where it's all about purity.
1: Well, we're, we were literally we're descended Puritanical from, from, society. from Puritans and, and these sort of weird, well, we're, we're descended from like a Christian people who that whole Christian tradition, which I love too, by the way, but has its own baggage that it brings with this mind, ancient mind-body problem where the there's a division, first of all, between the spiritual and the material. Between men and women, between cleanliness and dirtiness, everything you know on the one column is a shifted or, or placed above the other, yeah. and one is better, you know, one is worse. Like,
0: but m- who determines what's better and what's worse?
1: Well, exactly, the, and the whole the whole so the notion whole, is no, problematic.
0: Yes. So the our point is this: that the idea that addicts or addiction is bad is a problem. Mm-hmm. The idea that like. Being As opposed on, to
1: sober. And everything's yeah. like, like a dichotomy, but it's a false dichotomy.
0: Yes, agreed. Someone says, do you think people can stay in recovery without doing 12 steps, refuge recovery, smart recovery, et cetera, just with the work of a psychiatrist?
1: I think they have to do something, but if it was just like you in a room with a psychiatrist for the rest of your life, that sounds kind of dreadful. I think, and according to the latest uh, research on on 12 step AA, um, showing in fact, this incredible success rate, there's two things about it that are incredible. It's the community and the connection that it provides to people. And it's the fact that it's free. So it was a huge part of my recovery for at least five years. We both
0: started with NAA. We no longer attend, but that's not, you know, because we don't think it's great. It's because, I'm the biggest
1: advocate for it. I think yeah. I think it would do well to keep evolving. I'm not sure how possible that is with the way it's structured, with the world service, and I don't know by if there's going By evolving, be, he
0: means AA. He means AA as a whole needs to evolve. Yeah. And I agree. I mean, no the fact can, that there's a chapter that says for the wives in the big book is problematic for me. You know? And it was, it was a... AA was created by men, businessmen, you know, that needed to get sober from alcohol. You know, and now we're seeing the spectrum of people we know that addiction does not discriminate. And we absolutely need to grow and evolve but while keeping those spiritual principles because here's the thing. It's all about spiritual principles. To answer your question, I guess I would say yes, as long as you're doing the work. The work being uh, you know, understanding that your relationship with substances is no longer serving you, um, that your own will is no longer, you
1: know. (laughs) And I would only add to that the community, the community. And the
0: community aspect. mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's important to have other people, too, that you can relate to. And that's kind of like the beauty of these programs, whether it's Refuge Recovery, Smart Recovery, or Alcoholics Anonymous, or Drug and Alcohol Treatment. Being in an environment of people who can say, yeah, like me too, that absolutely happened to me too. And you're not alone. I mean, there's so much freaking value in that. Do you guys think you were born with addiction? So no, um, there's no addiction gene. There is epigenetics. And we both, I think I can speak for the both of us, believe that Some people are more sensitive than others, and that trauma is at the root of most all addiction.
1: Yeah, and I would only add that, you know, according to research, a stressed out mom during the third trimester in particular will pass uh, cortisol between the, you know, placental wall and into the baby, affecting the baby's neuro. Uh, development, development uh, before they're even born. So that's the only way I could say. And then, so there are, uh, and this is according to Dr. Gabor Maté, and I, I tend to believe him. There's other risk factors, uh, uh, genes for sensitivity and temperament. Um, You know, and again, we talked in our last uh, podcast that these highly sensitive people who are are in fact probably born with that gene for sensitivity would be more at risk. So then given a few, you know, adverse childhood experiences, um, divorce, financial stress, any different forms of abuse and neglect would, um, I mean, according to the research uh, you know a, a male with uh, six adverse childhood experiences is 4000% more likely to become uh, an intravenous drug user than the boy who had zero adverse childhood experiences so. Yeah,
0: someone wants to know would you start a YouTube channel like a vlog that could kind of be a compliment to your podcast yes we've been talking about that and we definitely think that we need to move into that direction Someone says, I keep hearing that using Suboxone is like replacing one drug with another. Okay, I'm going to let you go with this. It's just too, it makes me too frustrated.
1: Yeah, I don't know. They say that, but I mean, that suggests that drug use is in itself the problem. The problem is where it exists is the pain. Why are we using the drug in the first place? And so I think there's a way to do both. I think a lot of times with medication, no matter what they are, They buy us time to do the work. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a myth that you can't do the work when you're on Suboxone or Subutex.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then someone responded, abstinence-based recovery, learning ways to cope without substances. Yeah. I think that um, the, the goal is to check into our realities, right? To stop checking out of our reality. You can absolutely do that on Suboxone. You can absolutely do that on Subutex. You can absolutely do that in sobriety consuming plant medicine, in my opinion. Um, The goal is to check into our realities, to heal our traumas, to move past our old subconscious programming, to really become who we want to be and to show up as our best selves. And And if Suboxone's buying you the time to do that, then... If Suboxone's buying you the time to do that, then that's great.
1: And to respect that maybe other people, for other people, that's not their goal. Mm. And to respect that people have different life experiences and each is perfectly valid as long as it doesn't hurt somebody else. Somebody
0: else. Yeah. Then I guess the argument would be like other people's addiction does hurt other people. (sighs)
1: Right. And it can in a direct ways. But other times people are hurt by people's addiction when really like they don't realize that's not their Not their stuff to carry.
0: I mean, but we're not going to add. I mean, the truth is that the means of which drug addicts most a lot of drug addicts go to to provide them with their drugs is harmful. Which would mean that you would then advocate even more for every drug addict that's currently addicted to... I think to to truly
1: help people who are addicted to drugs, to truly help people who are addicted to drugs, who truly want your help, which is a key, you have to be completely open-minded about it.
0: She then responded with, I think as long as it's not addictive, then it's fine. But the drug is not... I want to be really clear. The drug is not the problem. The drug is not the problem. Drugs were not my problem. The drugs were the solution to the problem. The problem is that I was so traumatized. I had so much PTSD, I had so much pain then I needed to use the drug to cope.
1: And I would also question the premise too somewhat to say like, okay, so there is dependence and we could become dependent on Suboxone or or Subutex. Well, I'm dependent on food and water and breathing. We have this negative connotation, I think, especially in America on the notion of dependence because we're so independent. We're ruggedly independent. And we're in fact, as we've learned during this pandemic, we're incredibly interdependent. Mm. And everything depends on on everything else. And being dependent on something in itself is actually not a bad thing. There's yeah. a negative connotation in our culture. So what I'm saying is question everything. Question everything you heard.
0: Yeah. It's definitely interesting. Um, someone wanted to know what your drug of choice was.
1: Alcohol and ecstasy and marijuana. And my first drug of choice was LSD and mushrooms I was kind of a little more like old-fashioned Yeah, that we way. definitely have
0: different experiences. Yeah. Just wondering what you'd share uh, with your kids about your recovery. So I've answered this on the podcast before, mm. so I'm going to let you go with it.
1: I would say once they're able to comprehend, I mean, sharing almost anything, all of these same ideas that I'm sharing with you all now, I mean, there's nothing, nothing I'm ashamed of per se, and so... You know, I would obviously keep it PG, but um, I think when our kids are able to kind of comprehend, and of course they can all probably comprehend before we think they can. So when I feel that that time is right, I want to talk to them about, you know, all these issues. It's certainly not going to be a kind of just say no approach.
0: Yeah, if DARE worked... Everyone would have been cured by now. Mm. Um, It is interesting though. I just passed my nine year sober birthday and we told Harper about it and she didn't get it, (laughs) but it was kind of cute, you know, to see her trying to wrap her head around it and, you know, and we did it in a very celebratory, you know, age appropriate way. So that was definitely interesting. Um, So, yeah, it was great. Name your favorite things about each other. Oh, that's a fun one. Okay, you go first. Hmm, put me on the spot. <laughs> I want to hear all the things. Put you on the spot. I can I'm think joking. of 10 things I'm that come joking. to my mind right away. I'm come joking.
1: on. I think you're you're an adventurer. I think you're, to me, a heroic figure who has this incredible mission of of helping other people in that these are the people I love. And especially again, given this pandemic, it kind of illuminates everything for me, but the people who, the healthcare workers who would jump in and help others, the people who would work Mm. at Costco, you know, and different grocery stores, uh, putting themselves in harm's way to bring other people food. You know, this is new for a lot of us, but, uh, and it's incredible to see who maybe had that uh, courageousness and just didn't know about it. And, you know, I've always known you've you've had that kind of courage and you're my hero.
0: Okay. Cue the tears over here. <laughs> That's really sweet. I'm your hero, really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. I will just say that it is so amazing to be in a relationship with someone who is so curious about the world and who has so much information and who always questions the status quo and who has really taught me so much without even teaching like you've just been so kind to me throughout this journey like when Evan and I got to m- married and together he was he had five more years of sobriety than I did almost six and you know he just passed 15 years and I just passed 9 and so you know, he's been just so patient and so loving and, and he doesn't give advice without, he doesn't give unsolicited advice. And he's just, he really is the rock of our family. And I feel so honored to be your wife. And that's not to say that we don't have struggles. That was another question. Like, do you guys have ever deal with marital struggles? Like we do. Evan and I, when we first started dating and when we decided six months later that we were going to get married, it really happened that fast. We said that, you know, we weren't going to get divorced. My one thing was like, if you have an affair, it's over. But other than that, like, we're not going to get divorced. Now, this kind of last (laughs) couple of months ago was the first time where I was like, I'm over it. I'm frustrated. I... (laughs) you know we need to go see a therapist like all of the things um so yeah we definitely have our struggles but we're just really committed to doing the work individually and together what do you think about that
1: i love it and it gets stressful sometimes i mean it doesn't come easy it's doing the right thing unfortunately isn't always easy and um but i think we we cope really well i see what Requiem Phantasma is asking now about antisocial personality disorder and um, narcissistic personality disorder, which are really tricky. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then she also uh, wrote that not all addicts have low empathy. And like I was saying earlier, I think in fact most of them have more empathy. More empathy, which can be really overwhelming and intense. And then I think for you know, and this is a this is a kind of a lay person's view on it Um, my mom had borderline personality disorder too which are part of this family of really difficult uh, personality disorders and I'm like not antisocial personality disorder myself but I'm definitely like uh, a little bit of Dexter in me I'm sympathetic I'm like I'm I'm sort of adjacent to (laughs) antisocial so I get it and I, I think it's like in life when really your experience has been so traumatic and so intense that rather than feel, um, the only way you've learned to deal with it often from a very young age is to completely shut down mm. and and have no empathy. My, my heart goes out to those people who suffer from those um, that sort of axis of personality disorders and I'm... I'm so sorry and i and i know there's hope though so um just my my heart goes out to you yeah
0: someone asks like do we ever get triggered 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 to like use it's weird no. cuz we both say no, no which is it's like <sighs> Like, okay, sure, there's the moment where I'd be like, oh, it'd be really nice to, um like, have a glass of wine and unwind on really stressful days. Like, that thought has come into play. But then it's like, but what's the point? You know, like, the point is I'm stressed out and I'm uncomfortable. And so the solution to that is not a Band-Aid, you know, by picking up a glass of wine or a drug. The solution is taking better care of myself and self-care. And that just comes with like time and really doing the trauma work. You know, like that's just something that eventually shifts into place. Like we can no longer look outside of ourselves for our For our healing, you know, we have to be willing to do the work and to have that ability to question, like, okay, I'm feeling uncomfortable. And so I need to get off my phone. I need to go outside. I need to pull over on PCH for me and stick my feet in the sand. I need to eat a meal. I need to catch up with a friend. I need, for Evan, it's like jujitsu is like his thing and you have to find that thing that keeps you sane it's certainly not easy but it is so so worth it
1: and for me it's it's always been since the beginning i remember so this is you know 14 plus years ago but i thought if i could just stay sober and do all of these things and achieve these things that would be something and it and it's just gone on now for 14 i didn't say like i'm gonna, yeah I'm, i said i'm going to do it until I don't know when. I'm going to try it. And it's like 14 plus years, I'm still just trying it. I'm seeing what, how far I can take it. Aren't you 15 years? No, it'll be 15 in November. No, it's
0: 14. Oh, no, because we're five years apart. So you're 14 Mm and I'm nine. Yeah. Wow. We've been just married for so long. I'm out of it. Favorite things to do as a couple?
1: Movie night.
0: Is that your favorite thing? Love it. My favorite thing is going on staycations. Mm. I love a good staycation. Me too. Tips on longevity in a relationship and how to navigate conflict efficiently.
1: I think having your own interests, having your own projects and interests and hobbies is key.
0: Um, As far as, you know, navigating conflict, I think we're still working on that. At eight years married, it's definitely not always
1: easy. I just like to apologize.
0: He apologizes, but then I'm like, "Are these empty apologies?" I feel like a lot of them have been, and and it wasn't until this like last big fight that we had, and we don't fight very often, that you finally kind of were like, "Okay, I've got to kick my ass into gear and do something." I don't there.
1: think like any remotely sincere apology can be empty because I don't know, maybe it's just me, but if you're anything like me, apologizing isn't easy. And it takes a real suspension of one's uh, ego and a real kind of dive into humility to find it in ourselves. Empty is not the right
0: word, but if you don't follow it up with action to change it, then it feels empty. It starts with an apology. And so that's something that we've, we've worked on for sure. But I think communicating, and learning how to communicate. I love the Love Languages book. Um, So that's something that I would definitely go for. So how, if at all, does age difference affect your relationship? Pros and cons. I'm going to let you answer this one. I'm just going to say this, that like I personally, and I know I've said this before, like Evan, my age difference was exactly what I needed. He was ready for marriage. He was ready to slow down. He was just in a different phase of life in his life. Um, So I just guess that, you know, and I like older guys. Like, that's just hot to me. So it's worked out. Go.
1: And for me, um, you were also wise and intelligent beyond your years. So that was never a factor. Yeah. Um, hmm. And we had so much in common. It was kind of like this odd couple scenario where, you know, I, I did have more in common with you than, you know, a, a lot of women who I dated. And uh, the sort of drawback would have been so not getting some of my references. And I remember I was like, you got to see this show Taxi. It's got Danny DeVito. <laughs> it's so good. And I like pulled it up. I queued it. And uh, I put it on. I think I watched like 10 minutes. And I was like this was not that good of a show. (laughs) It really wasn't. Like (laughs) the sitcoms nowadays are so much better. I do not like Friends. So there's a period in the 90s, which was, I know like your heyday. He says, oh, I
0: don't like Friends because it has a laugh track, but he loves Seinfeld, which also has a laugh track. Yeah,
1: but it's just so much better. Um, And there was just like a lot of music and TV and stuff that I like tuned out in the late 90s and for at least- And I was like eight. For almost 10 years. (laughs) I was eight
0: years old and he was like 16. All right. Or older. older. 20. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're almost 16 years apart, guys. Yeah. Um, but it's worked really well. I mean, listen, have I thought about the fact that I'm gonna be a widow pretty early? Yeah. I keep encouraging her to date. Set, Go out there. Have I'm fun. not going to date. After you uh, die, I'm gonna be on some island by myself with my girlfriends. I don't even know. What
1: a waste. Have fun, babe.
0: No. I mean it does. It it so that is something that's hard, but um you know nothing's really stopped us. Like Evan's fit, he's like young, he's like at heart, he's hot, you know, he's like physically attractive. We have an epic sex life. Like we just get along so well and I think at the end of all of at the root of all of it is that we're each other's best friend and we really just adore each other so much. Don't you think? I do. Okay, tips on how to keep the excitement alive. Same Evan's with, not the greatest excitement's at this. overrated. <laughs> That's his excuse. Okay, moving on. Um, what advice would you give to the spouse of an addict? That's a really good one.
1: Like an active addict. I mean, there's different yeah. scenarios, active addict. Well, you know, it's it's whatever you're into. I mean, there's so many questions I'd have to ask, I mean, was the person actively an addict before you got married? Uh, Had they been before and were sober and then they relapsed? I mean, I think that it's a real tough one. You know, it just, it depends what you can handle and take yourself. And if that's your thing or, and if it's not your thing, then I think you'd have a better chance of kind of taking yourself out of a situation than certainly than changing the person. I mean, I, I don't know what else. If if it's a situation where they've been sober before, maybe when you first met, then they relapsed. I mean, you just have to be direct with them. There's no games. There's no, oh, no, I just had a little It's like, look, I know what's happening. I, I love you so much. I'm so worried about you. I'm not going to be able to do this. So what can we do? Confrontation can be done in a loving but very direct way. And mm. I think that's that's important.
0: Someone says, if you can go back and relive one moment you had together, what would it be and why?
1: Hmm. I think those first dates sitting on the beach and talking about our future and just to then know that what we were talking about would actually come true. Hmm.
0: For me, it would be after we got married. So Evan was stuck in Canada. We met in Mexico, eloped spent 10 days together, and then he had to go back to Canada for a while until he could come back down with his visa and stuff. So for me, it would be those days in Tulum after we got married. They were just so fun and precious, and I just loved that time. That was, like, the sweetest. So, yeah, I think that, you know, after we got married and everybody went home, And it was just you and I for a couple of days and it was really, really nice. What's my biggest pet peeve about you and vice versa? Um, My biggest pet peeve is, (laughs) and Evan knows this, is just like, so my, my love language is like, you know, I think probably primary, like outward acts of like, you know, like buying me flowers or sending a text, like thinking about you today or whatever. And Evan is fucking terrible at that. Um, And then my second is like words of affirmation. And so I tend to get really frustrated (laughs) with him about that. I love you. (laughs) Thank you. I love you too. what's your biggest pet peeve about me? I already know what it is. What is it? But I get stressy and like think we have to do all of these things and you're just like it is true that in so many ways we are like I am such a Gemini like two split personalities like all over the place a lot of the time and like super creative and always on the go and very type A and you're much more so like the Libra you're very stoic like level headed you know what I mean? so that probably drives you nuts. Was there any questions on there that you saw that you... Yeah,
1: there was yeah. one. What are the biggest challenges you guys face with Aloe House minus the finances? So
0: um,
1: <laughs> we talked about this... How do they
0: know about the finances? <laughs> well,
1: so It's hard. We, it is hard. It's, hard. it's hard running your own business and, and it's hard um, doing the right thing. I mean, doing the right thing. And so, well, let, let me answer the question. So... The biggest challenge is doing this new form of treatment, which is based on love and kindness and patience and compassion and really just being cool with one another. Because um, again, like I mean, our clients don't come to treatment because everything is going super well and they're they're, uh, very well adjusted. You know, they're going through a really, really tough time in their lives and that can be difficult for everyone involved. And so for example, say there's a client and it's breakfast time and everyone's getting ready and we're going to be getting in the the truck to go to the outpatient. And there's a client who's really kind of struggling and won't get out of up out of bed and won't go, and so when I do interviews with staff, I always ask them. I, I, I spell out that scenario and I say, "What do you do?" And you know, the people we don't hire, just to give you an example, are, are the people who will say things like, "Well, you know, I I contact my uh, my supervisor and I you know do a write up and and all of this, and it's like there's this sense, and and it makes sense because it's kind of the the orthodox approach to the problem is, you know, you want to get from A to B and, uh, you think it's a straight line that you have some desired outcome, like client needs to be in group. Um, and you want to just force that situation into happening and it's, it will never happen. You'll never win that fight. So instead it becomes a dance. Like how can we, you know, see this as an opportunity to connect with another human being and, for example, wonder what's going on today that is making it so difficult for them to get up out of bed. Like, what's happening? Like, are you okay? And that's the premise that we need to start with. But in kind of a fast-paced work environment, that's hard to do. And it's hard to do because, again, it defies... Kind of a lot of our uh, instincts, which have been, I think, conditioned, though, to, I don't know, be be kind of counter-indicated. They they seem like the right thing to do, but they're really not. You know, everyone's heard about the Stanford Prison Experiment, right, which I don't know, they did in the, in the 60s or 70s, and they dress up some of the participants in white lab coats, and they're in a relationship with the, quote-unquote, kind of prisoners and it very quickly, this whole thing descended into chaos because of the power differential and the people in those kind of official uh, roles of authority abusing and taking advantage of that power. So, it takes a real certain kind of person who can be, you know, confident enough with themselves to get the job done and their abilities, but soft enough to be flexible and bend and be like water and know that the uh, shortest distance between A and B is not a straight line, almost ever.
0: Yeah. One person wanted to know, and I think we'll wrap with this, um, did my past scare you?
1: No. I thought it was like the coolest thing. So we, we, <laughs> we, we talked about earlier um, in, in, the, in the last podcast, you know, you sharing that, you'd just been voted the most popular celebrity mugshot. And I was like, who? So I went home. Didn't have, I don't know if I didn't have the, maybe it was before the internet was on the phone. Yeah, so. it was before. Okay. I, it was,
0: or so, just as iPhones are starting. Right. So but I had yeah, to like run home, go
1: home. Google.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> like Google, who is Alexis Nyers? And it popped up and I was like, Oh my God, this is like the cool, I've heard about this burglar bunch. Now I'm not advocating that anyone break into anyone's house. There are very few, uh, more violating, horrible, uh, things that humans do to another. Um, and yet I thought that was so cool. And there was a, time when we were getting married, where your mom was trying to clear your good name. And this was a plot that was a crooked detective and you'd been framed. And I was like, are you kidding? Yeah. Like
0: we didn't even, we were like, okay, yeah, sure. That's true. (laughs) But we don't care.
1: Well, yeah. And I mean, so I'll, I'll also say a quick plug for your book too, that the way you describe it in your book was actually even more interesting than I thought it was before. And there's certainly more to the story. It wasn't exactly like, well, you all need to go read the book, but um, to find out more. But I was like, "Don't you dare clear her name!" This is the coolest <laughs> thing because I thought that you know, uh, I've
0: been always champions for the underdog.
1: I do, and the power of someone transforming their life from a twice convicted felon into this angel whose sole purpose is to help others is just so beautiful and so powerful. And I wouldn't have you any other way.
0: Okay. I'm starting to get teary-eyed again. (laughs) Just because you guys don't understand what it's like to have, or maybe you do, and maybe you're blessed to have, um, really to experience unconditional love. All of the love that I experienced as a child was conditional love. You know, it was, I'll love you if you behave this way. I'll love you if you blah, blah, blah. Even I'll love you if you perform the sexual act on me. I'll love you if, you know what I mean? Like my entire life, that was my experience. And when I got sober, I felt like the most unlovable piece of shit in the entire world. That I was not worthy of respect or kindness or of of ever experiencing real love. I didn't even know that real love existed. I'd I'd never really felt like that before. And so (laughs) when Evan, like, it wasn't even something that we really even talked about until after we got married, um, where he was like, none of that phases me. Like none of that bothers me at all. And um And I love you because of that. I love you because of your past. I love you because of those experiences. And it really is just such a magical thing. And I feel like it's a once in a lifetime love. And so when I say that if Evan died, it's weird because I always say like, if I ever died in some like freak accident or from coronavirus, um, (laughs) that I'd want him to get remarried. And i told him how important it was, you know, for him to not introduce the girls to a bunch of women. Like we've had these conversations, right? Like what, like my ideal would be. Right. Um, but like, I honestly can't imagine ever, ever, ever finding anybody else that is like him. So, um, I think that energetically and vibrationally and spiritually, And emotionally, like, we're always calling each other up to, like, rise up, to continue to stay in the work. And if you can find a partner who's in that with you, that is, like, that's one in a million. Like, that's once in a lifetime. I don't think that I could ever have that again. Honestly. So,
1: We're on a mission.
0: (laughs) We're on a mission to save the world, guys. So if you want to join us, we would love to have you. You know, the reason I created this podcast was to grow a community of people who were willing to do the work on themselves. So that way they can then create the ripple effect in their immediate families and communities for others to do the work through attraction and not promotion. And The reason why we do this is because we want to help save people. We want to help save this planet. If you guys want to support along with us, then please buy my book and please leave a review and, you know, continue to support this platform. I think a lot of people assume that I'm like making a ton of money off of all this stuff. I make no money off. I've made zero dollars. (laughs) <laughs> from all of this. Evan is our sole provider. Um, but I do this because I believe that the work is so important that everybody deserves access to it. And that's why we champion for, you know, healthcare for all too, is because, you know, in our business in our, at our treatment center, this, this is not some like crazy lucrative thing. Like people, Sure, you should make it an income, but everybody should have access to this work, don't you think? I do. Yeah. And then if you want to pay for the extras and the nice stuff, my online courses or luxury Malibu treatment, go right ahead. But every single person deserves to hear this kind of content and to be able to know that they're not alone in their loneliness and that it's going to be okay, you know? that they'll find their person really lucky you're my person mm-hmm. thanks babe he doesn't feel the same
1: I thought you were just saying that to be nice <laughs> so I have to say something now
0: you don't no. I know you feel that way um, with that guys we're going to wrap up but we're so grateful that you sat with us through this Q&A and this was fun hopefully I'll get Evan to come on the podcast more often that would be great yeah
1: vote if he would like me to come on every week <laughs>
0: this week's affirmation is my body is healthy my mind is brilliant my soul is tranquil and so it is if you enjoyed this week's episode do me a favor head over to the podcast app and make sure to subscribe to us rate us and leave a review we have new episodes every Monday and you can follow along with us on Instagram at recoveringfromreality or visit our website at recoveringfromreality.com.